Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, Vanguard family, and welcome to any of our friends that are watching us online. I hope you're staying healthy and safe during this statewide shutdown for preventing the spread of the coronavirus. You know, it's hard to believe that today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is on the Christian church calendar to remind us of the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to begin what's called the Passion Week. The Passion Week uh, traditionally is understood to be uh, the final days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. Palm Sunday is traditionally called the triumphal entry in most Bibles because, uh, and by the way, it can be found in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. John chapter 12, if you want to read up on that. But Palm Sunday is significant because, well, for two reasons. Uh, When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he was, first of all, declaring that he was the king of the people of Israel. And so, as a result, uh, those who watched him, believers that were watching him in the streets as he paraded down Main Street in Jerusalem, they laid clothes and... uh, palm branches down on the ground in front of him because that was back in those days traditionally how they would welcome a king who was coming to visit from another country. Another reason why Palm Sunday is significant is that Jesus was not only declaring his kingship but he also was doing so peacefully. You see another tradition back in those days in the first century was if a king was going to come visit a city peacefully he was to ride into town on a donkey or a colt but if he was coming to make war he would come riding on a horse with his soldiers behind him and so uh, as we begin to prepare our hearts for the passion week and Easter weekend, next weekend. Um, Let's go to the Lord in prayer and thank him for being our reigning king. And let's ask him to bless our time in the scriptures this morning. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that um, we do not have to worry about what happens in the world today or in our country, our state, or our city because you are still on the throne. Thank you, Lord, that you reign as king, not only over the world, but the universe. Now, Lord, as we open up your inerrant and timeless word, would you please speak to us? Would you reveal to us, Lord, things that we could not see on our own? And Lord, would you impress on our hearts with your spirit truths that you want us to apply to our lives? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we're going to continue here today uh, this little series I'm doing about the coronavirus called Biblical Thinking About the Coronavirus. I know, it's a, it's a creative title, isn't it? Well, I'd like to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Philippians chapter 4 and to grab that PDF handout that I uploaded to the website. Uh, grab a copy of that and something to write with and 
you can follow along with me as I work my way through uh, that simple outline. Um, by the way, that PDF, it's on the sermon pages of our website. It would be on the link. It's called Notes next to this uh, little Bible study video. Well, as you turn there, uh, let me just refresh your memory on what we're studying here. Last week, you might remember that I mentioned how fear is probably the predominant emotion being felt throughout the world right now. And thankfully, though, God's Word has solutions to our fears, uh, things that we can do that will uh, get rid of our fears, because the Lord doesn't want us to be fearful. He knows how it affects our bodies and how it affects our souls, and it certainly affects our relationship with Him. Uh, I'm calling these solutions to fear antidotes because they are able to counteract the poisonous effect that fear has on our souls. And so the first antidote, uh, you might remember last week, came from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And if you missed that video, I want to encourage you to check that out on our podcast or on our website. Now, the second antidote comes from Philippians 4 as well, but it, also, it comes from verses 10 to 13. And so uh, as you turn there in your Bible, uh, let me just give you a quick review or background on Philippians. Uh, Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul while he was under house arrest in Rome for preaching the gospel. He's there about 61 to 62 AD. Now, according to Acts 16, Paul had helped start the church in the city of Philippi about 11 to 12 years earlier uh, on his second missionary journey. Now, in addition to being an instructional letter, just like all his letters were that he wrote to city churches, um, this letter is unique in that it's also a warm thank you letter for financial support that the Philippians had sent him while he was planting churches abroad. And so, as the apostle nears the end of his letter in chapter 4, he re-emphasizes his gratitude for their generosity and sprinkles in some additional teaching on anxiety. And with that, if you would look at Philippians 4, and I'm going to read verses 10 to 13. Uh, Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Here's, uh, here's the anxiety antidote number two for you to write down on your outline, and it's this, becoming content with less. So the second antidote to fear and anxiety here from Philippians 4 is becoming content with less. Uh, this verse here in verse um, 10, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. In essence, what Paul is saying is thank you to his financial donors and supporters, like, like a missionary would. He's, he's saying your generous support of my ministry uh, caused me to rejoice in the Lord greatly. Not, not a little, but a lot. 
now, Paul doesn't want his thank you, though, to be interpreted as another plea for more donations. And so he says in verse 11, notice, notice in your Bibles, it starts, not that, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Uh, so, so the apostle, he doesn't want, first of all, his relationship with the Philippians to be dependent on whether they give or not, but also he he's trying to convey that I'm doing okay. I don't need you to send any more funds right now. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm able to rejoice where I am. And it, it seems to suggest that the Philippians were so eager to meet his needs, even while he was under house arrest in Rome, that they were getting ready to send him some more gifts. And, and he's 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 saying, no, I'm okay. I'm, I'm really, I'm okay. I don't, I don't need anything else right now. Uh, so he says in verse 11, just to clarify that, I've learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. Now, there's a word in the original text for content, the, the Greek word for content, it's a, it's a very, very fascinating word. It's one of the reasons I love getting into the original languages. The, the word means to be self-sufficient or satisfied with one's lot or independent of external circumstances. Self-sufficient or satisfied with one's lot, or independent of external circumstances. Saying self-sufficient in our 21st century, first world culture could easily be misunderstood, so I, I want to clarify something here. It, it doesn't mean being independent of people, God, or any assistance, kind of like today's world uses that term, being self-sufficient. Uh, um, instead, when Paul says content, that I've learned in every situation to be content, in verse 11, the word he chooses is meant to convey that he had learned to be emotionally detached from his circumstances just enough so that the force of those circumstances would not affect his emotions. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? He had learned through the highs and lows of life and being wealthy and poor, no matter what circumstances he was in, he had learned how to separate himself just enough so that his emotions weren't affected by his changing circumstances. So it's not that he, or I should say it better yet in the positive, he still cared about his circumstances. He still prayed but he didn't let his emotions get all tossed about by his changing circumstances. Now, let's pause the video right here. I'd like you to talk about this discussion question that you see on your uh, printable, downloadable handout, um, and it's this. Before this pandemic started, what are some things in your life you believe you could not live without? What are some things you believe you just had to have in order to be happy? I'd like you to talk about that with your spouse or your friends or your, your family, whoever you're watching this with, or if you're by yourself, that's great too. Uh, just pause the video. I'd like you to think about that and then just jot down some things on your handout. What are some things before the pandemic hit that you thought you had to have that you just couldn't live without. All right, go ahead and do that, and I'll be right back with you in a minute.
All right, welcome back. I'm sure you guys came up with some good ideas, some good uh, things that we felt like we have to have. Here's here's a few that came to my mind that uh, some are personal, some are just general that I've seen other people or heard other people talk about. Um, maybe something you thought you could not live without before this pandemic was seeing the next blockbuster movie come out in theaters. Or maybe it was watching or playing your favorite sport uh, or watching it on ESPN. Maybe you're a big baseball fan or basketball fan. And man, after those seasons got canceled or postponed, you're going, oh, how am I going to live without watching highlights on ESPN? Or, or maybe it's, here's, here's a good one I thought of. Maybe you thought you couldn't live without getting Amazon Prime deliveries in two days or less. Whoever thought that would happen, right? Where Amazon Prime deliveries don't come in two days. Or here's another one. Maybe it's having your favorite handcrafted drink from Starbucks. You just feel you had to have that every day. Every day. You got to have that to be happy. You got to have that to live and survive. Well, uh, another one, shopping for new clothes. Uh, eating out at your favorite restaurant. Traveling and pursuing new adventures exercising at the health club or maybe hanging out with your friends or going to see grandchildren out of state as you can see i'm i'm listing things that have all been taken away from us temporarily during the statewide shutdown for this pandemic these are all things that have changed that we can't do right now because of this season the lord has us in um, here, here's, here's something else to think about. All these things that I just mentioned, Amazon deliveries in two days, Starbucks drinks, and watching our favorite sports on ESPN, or going out with friends on the town, all these things are privileges. One of the things I have learned about myself, and about my children, and about every other human being on this earth is that the longer we have a privilege the more likely we are to turn that privilege into a right or a need and what i mean by that is the more likely we are to say hey i have to have that or i deserve that thing because we've gotten so used to having it that's one of the things I think the Lord is trying to show us during this global pandemic. Now, how did Paul learn to be content with less? Um, take a look at your outline. Here's letter A. One, one way that shows up here in this text, I think, that he learned how to be content with less is that he separated his wants from his needs. So letter A is he separated his wants from his needs. Uh, do you remember when you were a kid, or maybe you still are a kid, and your grandparents asked what you wanted for Christmas, or maybe your parents did, and so they asked you to make a, a Christmas list or a wish list? I know my, my parents used to do that when I was a kid. And, well, I would go research the catalogs, or if you're a kid now, you would get on the internet and find all the things that you wanted for Christmas and write down the exact color, model, and and size and all the things so that 
your your parents or grandparents would get you exactly what you wanted. And in fact, just to make it almost foolproof or foolproof, maybe another way to say it, uh, we as kids would say, I need this. I, I need that. I have to have it. Because we wanted our parents or grandparents to know that if they didn't get us what was on our Christmas wish list, they were failing to get us something we could not live without. They were, they were failing to provide an essential need. Now, did you know there are adults that still change their wants into needs. In fact, those wants usually cost more than the wants they had as a kid, and now they're adults, they don't need parents or grandparents to satisfy those wants anymore. How did Paul, though, how did, how did Paul accomplish this separation of wants from needs? Well, the answer is in verse 12. If you'll notice in the text, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What I, what I think he's saying here is, is that I've had circumstances, guys, Philippians, I've had circumstances where I had no money, and I've had circumstances and seasons of my life where I had more money than I knew what to do with. But I've learned in every one of those situations to be content. I've learned how to be content. In his classic book, um, it's written by Jeremiah Burroughs. It's a class in Puritan work. It's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Uh, this 17th century Puritan preacher writes this, and I, I put this quote on your, on your handout. He says, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Now, you might be thinking what I was thinking the first time I read that in Burroughs' book, and that is, okay, that's, that's great, Mr. Burroughs, but, um, you know, it sounds real lofty and spiritual, but it seems to me like it's easier said than done. How, how do I find this elusive thing called Christian contentment? Well, as I continue to read in Reverend Burroughs' book, it's as if he anticipated my question. And so he writes this. So this is the art of contentment not to seek to add to our circumstances, but to subtract from our desires. To subtract from our desires. Here's, here's another way I would translate what Reverend Burroughs is saying. The world tells us the secret to contentment is having more. But God's Word tells us the secret is having and wanting less. Let me say that again so that you get that. The world tells us the secret to contentment is having more, having everything you want, everything your hearts desire. But God's Word 
tells us the secret is in wanting less. Now, what else did Paul do to find contentment? Well, the answer to that question is in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you would uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And as you turn there, let me, let me just give you a quick uh, background on uh, 1 Timothy. It's a letter that Paul wrote to one of his protégés in the faith named Timothy. And Paul wrote this because he administered with Timothy in the city of Ephesus for a season. And then Paul moved on but left Timothy there in the city to be the pastor of the church there. And so uh, Paul's writing now in the mid-60s A.D., and uh, he's writing to Timothy to give him practical counsel on how to build the church, how to protect the church, and how to deal with problems that will come up in the church. And so uh, one of the many issues, in fact, to get more specific, that Paul addresses in his letter, and it's something that comes up in just about every church, is, is people who either don't support the church with their tithes and offerings, or they love their money, or both. And so Paul writes, if you would look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 7 and 8. I'm sorry, verses 6 through 8. Uh, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Now, here's number, here's letter B on your outline. The second way that Paul learned to be content, because the first was in Philippians 4. Here's the second way, and that is he maintained an eternal perspective. That's letter B. Paul maintained an eternal perspective. Notice, notice in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8, how he first remembered that we came into the world with nothing. Every baby comes into the world with nothing, not even clothing on, right? Then he realized, as he looked forward to dying and going home to be with the Lord in eternity, that he can't take anything with him, not even his clothes on his back. He cannot take those to heaven. And so just as he entered the world, he will leave the world naked and with nothing, in essence. Then, notice Paul eliminated his wants by acknowledging that all he really, really, really needed was food and clothing to survive. Food and clothing. Then he even says godliness, which is growing spiritually to become more like Christ, when combined, godliness, when you combine that with contentment, he said it is of great gain. It is of, in other words, he's saying it's of great value. It's worth it. It is worth almost more than anything else in the world to be godly and content. Paul realized, I think, that he was going to be with Jesus in eternity longer than he was going to be here on earth. And that helped him to have an eternal perspective. Now let's pause the video here. and 
I want you to talk about this next discussion question on your handout with your family or your friends or your spouse. And it's this, now that you have more time on your hands with this pandemic and the shelter in place request from our governor, now that you have more time on your hands, what is the Lord reminding you is more important than all the stuff you mentioned on that previous question that you thought you had to have to be happy or you thought you had to have to survive. What's the Lord reminding you is more important? So pause the video, talk about that for just a couple minutes, and then I'll be right back to help wrap things up for you. Okay, welcome back. Uh, I hope, you, I'm sure, I'm not hoping, I'm sure you came up with some good answers. Uh, one clue I would encourage you to consider is what are the things that God's Word says are important when compared to the things that we listed on the previous discussion question? So here's, here's uh, some examples, some ideas that came to my mind. Uh, things that the Lord might be reminding us are more important than all that stuff that we talked about in that first discussion question. For example, saving some of your money instead of spending it all, or giving back some of your income to the Lord in tithes and offerings instead of spending it all on yourself. Um, personal holiness, that's something that's more important than exposing ourselves to all the media that the world has to offer. Um, maybe it's spending more time with people who will help your walk with the Lord instead of spending a lot of time with those who hurt your walk with the Lord. Uh, perhaps it's seeing more people come to Christ, just that value, that eternal value of seeing souls brought into the kingdom. Another idea that came to mind is uh, spending less time on the internet and more time with family. Or less time on the smartphone, more time talking to family. Or another one, maybe the Lord is trying to remind you that less time on TV and more time spent with Him is important. I believe one of the many reasons the Lord has allowed or caused this pandemic to spread throughout the world is to show us all the things that we've replaced him with. I think he wants to show us we don't need all these things that I've been talking about to live or to be happy or to have joy. We don't need them all. All we need is food, clothing, and, and him. Sadly, though, too many people don't realize Jesus is all they really need until Jesus is all they really have. And what's great about the Lord's character and heart and his love for us, and one of the ways he expresses his love for us is, if necessary, he will strip away everything else in our lives until Jesus is all we have 
to show us that he's all we really need. And so for this reason, as someone who cares very deeply for your soul, I, I want to urge you, I just urge you to make the most of your quarantine by addressing this issue of contentment in your heart. Don't waste this time that God is giving you. Instead, make the most of it by coming out of this quarantine, out of this shelter-in-place uh, request from our government with a deeper, more intimate, more authentic walk with Jesus Christ. Separating our wants from our needs and maintaining an eternal perspective are two big secrets to contentment with the Lord. And, and Paul shows us that in Philippians 4 and 1 Timothy chapter 6. However, it can be difficult for us to do these two things. And, and, and it, the reason is, is that our sin nature tricks us into thinking our wants are so important that we have to change them into needs in order to justify getting them. Also, our sin nature works overtime to get us to think temporally instead of eternally. In other words, our flesh in the world try to convince us that our lives only consist of what we have here on earth, and that's all we've got. When the reality is, God's Word says that we are eternal beings, and there is life beyond the grave, either in heaven or hell. We're, we're, we are going to live forever, but it's going to be either with the Lord or separated from Him. So, although it's difficult to reverse this kind of thinking where my wants or needs and my life on earth is temporary and this is all I've got is my life on earth so I gotta live large and get everything I want while I'm here because there's nothing beyond the grave although that's hard it's hard to change our thinking there's hope it's not impossible and thankfully the Lord knows this if you would turn back in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4 and I'll show you why Philippians 4, we're going to go back there. I'm going to show you one of the most popular verses in the Bible that's often quoted. And it's in verse 13. Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Some translations say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But regardless, what Paul was saying and this is often misinterpreted. This verse is often taken out of context. What I think Paul is saying is that he is able to be content with more or less material wealth because the Lord helps him do it. So the, the Lord has helped him do it, which means the Lord can help us do it as well. The Lord can help us be content with more or less regardless of our circumstances. And, and he's saying the Lord will empower him to do whatever the Lord has called him to do. See, that's, another, that's, a, that's a misinterpretation often. Is with this verse, a lot of people think this verse means the Lord will help me do everything I want him to help me do. But that's not what it means. It means 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do whatever the Lord has called me to do, whether I'm rich or poor, healthy or sick, married or alone. I can do it because Christ strengthens me. Well, I hope this has been helpful for you. Here's a couple applications I want to encourage you to jot down as we get ready to close. How do we apply what we've learned in Philippians 4 and 1 Timothy chapter 6? Um, here's, here's one application that comes to mind. It's just a simple exercise. Application number one, make a two-column list on your less lesson handout and separate your needs from your wants. Jot down some needs that you have that you've got to have to survive, and then jot down all the things you want in your life. And then I want to encourage you, after you do that, to give the Lord your wants and to thank Him for meeting your needs. And if He's not met a need yet, trust that He will. Thank Him in advance for meeting it, because He knows what your needs are. And doing this simple exercise of just writing down on one column your needs and the other column your wants is a really healthy exercise to do for the soul because it will prevent you or at least lessen the chances that you'll be disappointed in the Lord. And the reason that is God only promises in his word to meet our needs. He doesn't promise to grant us every want that we have. He, he does invite us to bring our wants to him, but he doesn't promise to grant all of our wants. That's why this exercise is important. Here's a second application. I want to encourage you after you jot down that list and you make a two-column list of needs and wants to replace one or more of your wants with something that will improve your relationship with the Lord. So, uh, for example, instead of spending money on a new tech gadget or toy, maybe you need to purchase a new study Bible to help you get more out of your devotional times throughout the week. Or maybe instead of driving a new car, you should drive a used car that costs less so you can give back to the Lord's church that ministers to you. Or... Maybe instead of traveling as much as you do, you should travel less so you can serve in the Lord's church and be there more often on Sundays when the church gathers to worship and serve one another. Those are just a few ideas that come to mind. But application number two, again, is replace one or more of your wants with something that will improve your relationship with the Lord. So swap something out and go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that want and I'm going to put something in there instead that has eternal value, something that will help me grow as a believer. And there's a myriad of options, and I just gave you examples of some that came to my mind. But ask the Lord to show you what temporal thing do I need to replace with something of eternal value. That would be another way to say it. Well, 
Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, it's been great having this time with you guys to dive into God's Word together. I hope you found this helpful, and I hope it's helpful in reducing any anxiety you might be feeling as you watch the news coverage about the coronavirus. I want to thank those of you that have continued to make giving a part of your worship. If you are able to continue supporting the ministry of Vanguard, please visit the Give page on our website, and you'll find there the different giving options that we have. Uh, I'll see you on Good Friday. I'm going to record a short Good Friday devotional video. If you don't catch that on Good Friday, I hope to see you next Sunday as we celebrate Easter in our homes. But I'll be uploading an Easter video as well with a special Easter Bible study lesson. May the Lord bless you. May He keep you and make His face shine upon you. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.